Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. Welcome to another episode of Millionaire Secrets. Jeff Lerner, your host. Always excited to be here with you, uh, getting to have amazing conversations with amazing people, and really getting down to what it takes to be wildly successful in this world. Today, I am joined by a gentleman named Brendan Kane, who, uh, if, if you're like me, you've already met and gotten to know through his online ads uh, that talk about, I guess the campaign that I saw was the 1 million followers campaign, which I was super intrigued by, and I am excited to get to ask a lot of questions about. Um, but Brendan is the uh, creator of the Hookpoint Agency, the CEO of, of Hookpoint, and they've done, uh, he's, he's done digital marketing campaigns with tons of big brands and celebrities and artists. Um, at least uh, in the campaign that I saw, he's, he's certainly notable for having generated a million social media followers in 30 days, which I can personally speak to how impossible that sounds, but uh, he did it. And um, now he's here to share with us on Millionaire Secrets. Brendan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to connect with you and everybody that's listening to this. Yeah, I'm grateful you're, you're here. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody wants to know, how do you generate a million social media followers in 30 days? And, and more generally, how do you produce amazing content that's engaging and viral? And how do you, you know, scale your brand and all that stuff? And, and I want to know all those things too, and we'll get into it. But first, I, I would appreciate if you kind of set the story up a little bit, like, you know, where are you from? Who are you? Where are you from? How'd you get into this stuff? And then we can get into the weeds. Yeah, I, I uh, grew up in Chicago and I decided at some point I wanted to be a film producer. So I figured, you know, the best way to become a film producer and learn the business side of the entertainment industry is to go to film school. Uh, so I showed up in film school and quickly realized that they don't really teach you anything about business there. It's really about the fundamentals of how to create content for, for the film medium. So I figured the best way to really learn about business is to start your own. And at the time, and still holds true today, the most cost-efficient way to do that was to start internet companies. So I started a few internet companies while I was going to college, really just to learn and experiment. And then when I showed up uh, in LA to pursue this path, uh, it's when the entertainment industry started to reawaken to the digital after the dot-com bust. Mm -hmm. So this was around like 2004, 2005. And you know, as I really talk about in my second book, Hook Point, I showed up and started at the bottom like everybody else, making coffee and, and copies and deliveries. And I was looking for that way to grab attention at the highest levels because the entertainment industry is a very cutthroat industry. And, and uh, they say it's about who you know, and it is, you know, like any industry, you need to know the right people. And when I would get the opportunity and people would ask, well, why are you here? What do you want to do? I would say, hey, I want to produce movies. I could just see the reaction, reading the body language and the facial expressions that, hey, listen, you know, there's hundreds of thousands or millions of people moving to LA that want to be film producers. So I had to really take a step back and figure out, okay, how can I stand out? And I would just listen and observe what would happen in the studio, the first studio I worked for. And it was interesting because I would notice that when we finished a film, something that we spent tens of millions of dollars to produce, uh, there would be a sense of anxiety 
a sense of stress that would come over the office because the film industry is very different than any other industry. Like you need to get hundreds of millions of people around the world to know about this piece of content that you just produced in order to have any chance of, of just breaking even, let alone a profit. So I just started, you know, again, this was back in 2004, 2005 and saying, Hey, listen, you know, I started a few internet companies. I was going to college, be more than happy to sit down and you know, give some strategies or tips of how we could tap into digital audiences uh, for, for little, or in some cases, no cost to promote this film at scale. And that started to resonate, you know, that I would get the president of the studio to bring me into meetings. I would get directors that would start asking me questions and bring me into meetings. And then even like leading stars of movies would be interested. Uh, and it started with, you know, tapping into blogs and then a little bit into social media. Cause again, at the time, my space was the predominant player, YouTube was just coming on the scene. Facebook was launched, but it wasn't, you know, a household name. So that's really how I got into it and just kind of realized being in the studio system it's just another corporate structure. You know, people think making movies is this super creative and sexy thing, and it's really not. Uh, so I decided to kind of venture off and, and just keep exploring the world of digital and technology and how it applies to scaling messages worldwide. Yeah, cool. No, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, that, that I can imagine... You know, I know I know just enough about the film industry to be dangerous. I know a lot more about the music industry. I was a, a professional musician in all through my twenties, and it's kind of the same thing. You you have this. You you see the rock stars on stage at the concert, and you think that's the industry. That's like the tiny little tip of the of the tip of it's the tip of the tip of the iceberg of the industry. And underneath it, there's this much more like kind of rigid and almost like monolithic kind of old school where you're having like culture battles and um yeah so i can totally understand especially as an entrepreneur too i mean do you think you well i guess that's a fair question do you do you feel like you are an entrepreneur by nature and that you know working in that environment was never going to be your long-term fit or was it more more of a tactical shift no it was definitely i mean i if i look back like age six or seven I had the entrepreneurial spirit, like picking up my toys and knocking on neighbors' doors to sell things. Yeah, I, it was always kind of destined to do that. Now, like I'm the type of person, I'm so experiential as I don't really understand something until I do it. So I had this vision of what it would work like, what it would look like to work in the film industry, but I didn't really know it until I got my hands into it and did it. And I'm glad I did it. Like, don't get me wrong, that. Corporate experience was fun. I learned a lot. And one of the most important lessons I learned is I'm never going to have a day job. I'm never going to work behind a desk. I'm never going to work in an office. I'm never going to work for a corporation. I'm far better served working outside of that confines. And it's not about not working. I mean, you know, this as an entrepreneur, we work far more right. than most people do than the nine to fives. It's just, it's just not the right fit for me. And I admire some of my friends that played that game. You know, like the people I started with, that stuck it out are running studios now, you know, mm -hmm. are operating at the highest levels. It's just, it's not, I'm just not cut out for that type of thing. It's not that I have anything against it. And for some people being an entrepreneur, they're not cut out for that as well. So I think it's really, we, we each need to choose our own path based upon what's right for us. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I, uh, cause I think that a lot of times the, the entrepreneurial rah-rah becomes kind of belligerent about 
you know, quit your, your J-O-B, which stands for just over broke. And they'll, you know, they'll, they'll keep you hooked on the crack forever while they, you know, bleed you to death. And it's like, I mean, yeah, I think you can argue that if you want to finish wealthy, you know, when you're 65, a job's generally not the path for that. But that doesn't mean it's like a got to be an awful existence. And to your point, some people trying to be an entrepreneur would be an awful existence, even if they made lots of money because they just they're not wired for it. A hundred percent. And it's also what's your definition of wealthy? It's like, I've been spending time with some friends in Tulum, Mexico, and you look at what the cost of living down there is, it's like, it's crazy what you can get down there or other parts of the US or the world that, you know, some people just don't need a lot of money. But again, like you said, it's hard work and it's not guaranteed you're going to be wealthy either. It's like, most people give up and quit before they can get to it. It's a long path and a long road to get the foundation of what it takes to really scale and, and generate, you know, revenue to be considered rich or wealthy and right. the, the U S sense of it. Yeah. I, th- I think that's an important point too. Is it like, you know, when you make the decision, it's, it's a lot of people try to say when they, when they kind of reach this crossroads and, and it's not strictly binary because you can, you can have a job and have a business on the side and eventually the business might overtake the job or make the job, you know, uh, optional, but but to the extent that it is a choice, uh, I think a lot of people are, they're not looking at it apples to apples. They're going, okay, well, should I, have, should I do a job where the, the basic assumption is I'm going to do it for 40 years? Or should I be an entrepreneur, but the basic assumption isn't, oh, I'm going to do that for 40 years. It's more of like, oh, I'm going to try that and see if it works. And that's not apples to apples, right? I think to your point, if, if everybody was, was considering two 40-year paths, one is one in a job, one is an entrepreneur. You know, people talk about the risk of entrepreneurship, but I would suggest, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, that the risk of being an entrepreneur for 40 years or the likelihood of being an entrepreneur for 40 years and never getting anywhere is probably you know, negligible to none because every time you don't get anywhere, you learn and it makes the next one a little, the next iteration a little bit better. And like, eventually you crack it. You really do. If you give it enough time, do you think that's true? Or am I just, uh, no, I think you're hundred percent true. And the the reality situation is the more you explore entrepreneurship, the more you're going to learn, the more valuable you're going to be. If you ever decide to go back to the corporate world, yeah, it's like, you know, the salary that you or I could warrant going and getting, you know, from a fortune 500 company based upon the experiences that we've had would be astronomical compared to the people that just played the corporate ladder most of the time. I'm not going to say yeah. all the time because, you know, you, you look at the compensation package of like the CEO of Viacom or something like that. They played that corporate ladder game. But yeah, listen, if you decide between both of those paths and you do spend the 40 years being an entrepreneur, unless you're stubborn and not learning from your failures, right. you're going to be successful eventually. And, and that's, you know, it's interesting you know, like you, we market at scale. So mm-hmm. I see a lot of people reaching out to me, especially with the first book. And there's, you can totally tell just even by a DM, the people that are going to be successful with the information in the book and the people that are not, you know, the, these, these, the people have this grand, you know, vision of what an entrepreneur is. And they think it's like, it's super easy. 
So just because I generated a million followers in 30 days, they're like, oh, so if I buy this book, you're guaranteeing me that I'm going to generate a million followers in 30 days. And I'm like, no, it doesn't say that anywhere. It's a myself and all my partners who've achieved massive growth and success. We're sharing and being transparent about how we did it. And you can choose to put in the work and implement the strategies, or, you know, you can be one of these people that just expects that everything just to happen for you. And I mean, I'm sure you see this in my business with my business. Like it's hard every day. I've been doing this for 15 years and it's still challenging. Have we learned a lot? Are we scaling? Are we generating a lot of revenue? Absolutely. But there's always a challenge and an obstacle that you face as an entrepreneur. It's not like, you know, you get into this 10, 15 years and all of a sudden it's super easy and all your problems are solved. Uh, So it's, it's kind of interesting to see that feedback. And I don't know if you see it, you know, based upon the people that you attract to your brand or business, but it's very easy to tell the people that are going to be set up for the success and not just by even reading a simple line from them. Yeah. Well, I know, of course I, I absolutely see it. And it's interesting. One of the, one of the biggest calculuses of marketing when you're a, you know, a, a vendor of, information in a business related information, right? Here's information on how to grow a business or, or build or grow a business. One of the biggest calculuses you have to do is how do I speak to the possibility in a way that's, you know, sexy enough to get eyeballs and clicks and purchases, but not, uh, but doesn't attract the people that are going to make my life miserable trying to support and fulfill them because they came in with, uh, you know, grandiose, unreasonable expectations. And, and here's, the, here's the way I've started kind of teaching our, our advertising team is like, we've done something really extraordinary. You've done something really extraordinary. Any great entrepreneur is doing something that is, you, know, you know, statistically extraordinary because not, no, nobody else does it. Every entrepreneurial success story is a completely unique animal. And so when we're out there promoting our stuff, we're, I, the, the, the analogy I give them is we need to be like Thomas Edison saying, let me teach you how I invented the light bulb. If you want to be an inventor, let me tell you how I invented the light bulb. Because in that conversation, it would be nonsensical to suggest that when I tell you how I invented the light bulb, I'm going to empower you to invent the light bulb. The light bulb's already invented, right? So like, there's no way it could be confused that you're promising that result. And so the more we steer our marketing towards like, if you're an inventor or you think you might want to be an inventor, you can learn from how I invented the light bulb so that you can apply my strategies to go invent your thing because every invention is a one-off. That's what business growth information should be as opposed to like this idea of like facsimile copying what I did because what I've did has already been done and same for you, right? Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, that's, that's kind of how I, how I teach, you know, how to, how to find that fine line. Right. Um, and, and to your point, if you're listening to this and you think buying Brendan's book is going to give you a million followers in 30 days, or you think that buying my, whatever is going to give you my life or whatever, like get over it and don't quit your job. Um, so, so that said, uh, you figure out the studio system is not the ecosystem you want to spend your days in. When was that, that you, you went out on your own? Uh, so that was probably 2008, 2009. And I had already gotten the entrepreneurial bug when I was working for the studio. And 
I came up with this advertising technology idea that I brought to the president of the studio. I was like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. You want to invest in it. And he ended up investing in the prototype. And it was, I think it was my first big technology play. I built technology when I was in college, but it was really small. And essentially looking back on it now, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I had built the first ever influencer marketing platform back on MySpace. So I saw that, you know, Fox had acquired MySpace at the time. And I was like, okay, they just spent close to $600 million acquiring this property. How are they going to get that return on investment? And when I dug in, I would see that they're just monetizing it through these CPM banners that was generating bottom basement CPM rates. And I saw that they were missing the most valuable form of advertising of people putting a movie trailer, a music video, a Nike poster on MySpace profiles. And I was like, well, that's the most valuable form of advertising. It's a friend telling a friend. So I came up with this concept of turning that content into ads where that we are positioning it for MySpace to get paid off of it and also uh, for the end user to get paid off of it. So each time one of their friends engaged with it and built a a prototype of of that technology and shopped it around, had conversations with Yahoo, had conversations with Facebook, uh, had um, meetings with MySpace and Fox News Corp. And ultimately... And it was probably a mistake, you know, because when I was having, you know, conversations with Facebook, they're only 400 employees at the time. They were in one office in Palo Alto. And I should have probably pushed harder to, to um, do a deal to get them the, the, the patents because they weren't interested in the technology because they could build anything at that point. But I ended up solidifying a deal with MTV Viacom uh, mm-hmm. and did several iterations of that. And, you know, unfortunately, it was too early because, yeah. again, this was when there was no such thing as an influencer, you know, uh, there wasn't enough scale there with traffic and MySpace, even though the, the case studies that we did, they were outperforming, like our, our click-through rate was like 10%. It was like crazy mm-hmm. high, uh, but it was too early. Uh, so then I quickly transitioned to build another platform that could dynamically write code for you. So this was really before Wix and, and those Squarespace, and it was more of an enterprise level and brought it back to the executive at MTV, brokered another deal. And then we turned that into a company that I ran for about three years. So that was kind of the next step in my path of entrepreneurship. And that taught me a lot at a very young age of, of how to go into big meetings, big boardrooms with yeah. people, position content, position messaging, understanding body language, communication, uh, and all of that, uh, and hook, hook points as well to get those meetings at the highest level. So, so when did you, what was, was, was hook point your next move after that? No, it wasn't hook point really didn't come about until like two years ago. Like I had okay. to take a step back to really understand. Cause I would get people to ask me, it was like, well, how do you get a deal with MTV? How do you get a deal with vice magazine? How do you get Taylor Swift as a client? How do you close Rihanna's team? And I had to really look back on what was it that was causing that success because I didn't really think about it as success. I was just doing, mm-hmm. I was just doing it on necessity. It's like, I wanted to operate at a high level because not just because I wanted to, but the movie industry, and I'm sure you learned this from the music industry, it teaches you that. Like you can't go into the entertainment industry and think small. Right. You get kicked out the door right away. I could not go into a meeting and express 
something that would reach 10,000, 100,000, or even a million people. I would literally, nobody would pay attention to me. Uh, so I always had to figure out the ways to stand out, to capture that attention, whether it was getting a meeting with Viacom, whether it was giving information to Viacom to broker the meeting with a Taylor Swift, whether it was helping you know this paid media company that I was advising to close a Disney or an Xbox or a Fox off of cold outreach. And that's really looking back on it. It all stems from this framework of developing hook points so that you can over, overcome the noise so that you can stand out uh, in any medium, both online and offline. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I love, I love the, the, I mean, if it, you know, I'm, as I have these conversations, obviously it's, it's me talking to you, but I'm always conscious of like the audience, what they're hearing. And if I could punctuate what you said just now, it would be like the thinking big piece, you know, I'm curious if you would agree with this statement. I have found that it's actually not really that much more work to execute a really big idea than it is to execute like a small to medium sized idea in terms of building a business around it. Do you agree Definitely. with that? 100%. In fact, and I think it's in a way it's easier because you spend less time explaining what makes you different. Yeah. And in the way that we also work with our clients and developing, you know, hook points for them and helping them stand out is like if the, if the concept or the idea can't work for a billion people, it's probably not going to work for 10 people in its core effectiveness, especially when we're working with clients that want to close a huge deal. They want to get a fortune 500 client or fortune 100 client or celebrity or something like that. The hook, the positioning has to be big enough that it could get a billion people to stop, let alone, you know, the core one person, the core hundred or core thousand people. It doesn't mean that you still in the story or the way that you contextualize and follow it up uh, doesn't change. But that initial hook, you know, that, that first three seconds, that subject line, that first sentence of an email, that first three seconds of a video, um, the first three seconds of an ad, we're looking at it like, how can this really operate at scale if it needs to? So you, you used a couple words that obviously are, you know, just our everyday vernacular hook, the hook and the positioning. Just for the audience, because you know not everyone lives in our world, can you expound a little bit on those terms and kind of what you mean? Absolutely. The first place I'd like to start is to, to give context of the world that we live in today. So it's interesting because I used to say, you know, there's over 60 billion messages sent out on digital platforms each day. And I just read an article the other day saying that WhatsApp, there's 100 billion messages every day on WhatsApp alone. So let's just say it's a super noisy world. And because we're in the super noisy world, we're no longer competing against our direct competition. We're competing against every piece of content for Mm. that attention. So like it or not, you're competing against Netflix. You're competing against LeBron James. You're competing against Kevin Hart, all these people for attention. So when we talk about a hook point, a hook point is designed to grab attention in this very noisy world. And there's three core pillars to creating a successful hook point. The first is what we refer to as pattern interruption. Now, some people may have heard that term, some people not, but it's really the first core pillar that you have to do is to get somebody to stop. So if you're doing an Instagram organic post or Facebook or TikTok or, you know, organic or paid, 
can you get the scroll to stop? YouTube, it's earning the click. Uh, LinkedIn, it's opening the message. Email, it's the subject line. But can you win that first three seconds? Mm -hmm. Then once you win that attention, it goes to the second core pillar is what is the story that you're telling? Because we're not talking about clickbait here because you don't just win attention, you have to hold attention. So that comes down to the way that you contextualize your story to hold it as long as, as possible, which plays in the third core pillar is do people believe it? Do people trust it? And all three of these have to play in together because without that pattern interruption, you don't get to the story. If you, if you generate, if you get people to stop and pay attention, but your story sucks, then you lose that attention. If you grab attention, your story is great, but people don't believe it, then it falls apart. So that's what we're really talking about hook points and in, in, in positioning is to really play to those three core pillars to drive massive success. Again, whether you're trying to generate followers, leads, sales, meetings, business development, uh, partnerships, whatever it may be. You know, that's just so interesting and, and timely for me personally. I was a few hours ago, I was on a, I was a guest on someone else's podcast, which is called Rich Ad, Poor Ad. And it's actually a really cool show. It's run by some, some guys that run a, uh, you know, ad management and, you know, ad credit platform. They deal with financial solutions for scaling advertisers. Really cool platform. But anyway, the guys, they have this show called Rich Ad, Poor Ad, where they basically have big, you know, marketers that spend a lot on paid ads come on and talk about ads that worked, they're rich ads, and ads that didn't work, they're poor ads, right? And just kind of dissect it. And these three pillars that you're sharing, which I hope everybody just took notes, because I literally pulled up my notepad file on my other screen and typed those three in, as you were saying, them: pattern interruption, story, belief and trust. As I'm mapping that to the conversation I had this morning about our ads that work, and our ads that we'll just say they were opportunities to learn, um, they were, you know, I'm, I'm a good enough marketer. I'm not going to do something that doesn't have any of these three things, but the ones that didn't work may have only had one or two and they may not have unfolded in the right way or at the right pace or in the right sequence. And it was just, it's just really interesting. You just, I wish I'd had this interview first because I would have been a lot more articulate and just been like, Oh, well, it's as simple as these three pillars. Right. Yeah. I, I would say, that, I would say the biggest mistake the 99% of marketers are making today. And this is not just startups. This is billion dollar corporations we work with is the first one is they don't know how to do the pattern interrupt. Yeah. And they're just going straight to the story and, yes. and, and they struggle. And, and, and some of these people have amazing stories and we do work with people on contextualizing their stories too. We use a lot of uh, psychology and human behavior and in, in all the stuff that we do to make sure that we're contextualizing our message to reach all the different ways that people communicate and like to be communicated with. But the biggest challenge, and this is why I spent two years putting together this information in the hook point book and why we built a whole consulting firm around it is there's, there's so many amazing people that talk about your brand foundation, your purpose, your why, your story, which don't get me wrong is important because that plays into the second and third core pillar, but without the pattern interruption, without the hook and getting people to stop, those first three seconds, mm -hmm. you're done. Like you, you're going to struggle to, to reach the level of success that you're going out for because of the world that we live in today. Yeah. I mean, you, yes, you're just putting such a fine point on it. I'll, I'll just share a super quick anecdote to illustrate this. So on the rich ad, poor ad conversation, my poor ad was like, it was basically leading with my story. 
hi, my name is Jeff Lerner. This is who I am. This is what I've done. This is how I can help. This is what I believe. And, and like, look, it's all good stuff. Like I know I live my life. It's pretty cool. But nobody cared because it's not even that they didn't care. They didn't know they cared because they didn't pay attention. As soon, there were two things that we did that changed it. One is we started all of our most successful ads right now start with me saying, big news. And, and I do my hands, big news. And so like I make a big, uh, an expansion image with my hands, big news. Just adding those two words changed everything. Because suddenly people go, oh, there's big news. What's the big news, right? Now they're paying attention. And, and then the other thing I did, I cut my story in half. I told half as much story because once you've got their attention, you want to get to the point. And then the other thing I did to your third point, belief and trust, is it's a lot easier for people. I'm curious, you know, your commentary on this, but from my point of view, and, and as I've seen it play out, it's a lot easier for people to believe everyone than to believe someone. So we, the first piece of big news that we put in there, instead of me being like, I'm Jeff Lerner and I overcame my challenges and I can help you do the same. Trust me, it can work. I said, no, big news. Did you know that 1,700 new millionaires, according to Fortune Magazine, 1,700 new millionaires are created in the United States every single day and over 4,000 around the globe. So as soon as I say that, I increase the credibility and the believability of the idea that a lot of people are, can become successful. So you don't just have to take it from me. You don't just have to base your faith on my one story. There's 4,000 people a day becoming millionaires, according to Fortune Magazine, which is a highly credible source, which you're hearing about as big news, which got your attention. And then and only then do I put in a little bit of my story, just enough to make the point and then make the, the offer. And that changed everything when we put all three of these pillars together. And I didn't even know what I was doing until you just explained it to me. Yeah, and and you could even take it a step further, because what we what we say is communication is math, and we mm. use a communication framework that Pixar uses, that NASA uses, Audi to communicate at scale, and and basically this this framework is you know taken from over a million different profiles filled out from around the world, and and basically it breaks down the different ways people perceive the world from a mathematical formula standpoint. So for example, with what you just said, plays to people that perceive the world through thoughts and logic, which is 25% of the population. Now there's people that perceive the world through feelings and emotion, which is the largest, which is 30%. Then there's people that perceive the world through fun and humor, that's 20%. Then there's people that perceive the world through actions, which is 5%. Um, there's people that just reflect on the world, which is 10%. And then, you know, the the beliefs, the trust, the opinions is 10%. So what we always work with our clients on is the, the core three, uh, fun, fact, and feeling. And that represents 75%. If you want to see a perfect example of that, the Dollar Shave Club launch video did huh. that. So what you did was perfect playing to the logic side. I would follow it up to say, okay, you know, X number of people become uh, millionaires every single day. Can you just imagine how it would make you feel to connect with your family with all of this? And can you just, just sit back and realize how much fun it's going to be when you have that level of scale, that level of success, and the parties you can throw, and the, the traveling, and all of that stuff? So we oftentimes, what we see with communication is it's not the content. When we're working with clients, we're never changing who they are what their product is, we're contextualizing it so that it can hit 
the different ways that people perceive the world. If you go to Pixar, why is Pixar probably one of the most successful um, startups of all time is they have their writers trained in this. So if you go like inside out, they have a character that, that speaks to each one of the ways that people perceive the world. Mm -hmm. So that's where we combine this concept of the hook to bring people in. And then when we're telling the story, we're contextualizing it through feelings, facts, and fun to hit the widest audience, which then increases your believability in that trust. Because if I'm somebody that's communicating just through facts and data, and somebody on the other side of the screen perceives the world through feelings and emotions, and you're not communicating with their currency, that can deteriorate trust, not because of anything that you said, but because of the way that you've said it. So I have many times said that one of the best unintended benefits of starting a, a podcast slash YouTube show is all the amazing free consulting that I get. In case anybody wanted an example of what I mean when I say that, witness the last five minutes because Brendan, you just, man, you just revolutionized how I'm going to reassess what we're doing on the advertising side. By the way, if uh, anybody wanted to evaluate the value of a consultation with Brendan, which this is not a paid promotion, by the way, <laughs> you also just got to demonstrate it. Dude, that was amazing. Like, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, uh, we, and it's, we believe in it so much that any client that we work with, we make them take the communication assessment so that we can clearly identify what their communication strengths and weaknesses are so that we can construct any hook, any story with them uh, to play to that. Because that's where I think so much marketing goes wrong is they don't dive into the deep nitty gritty psychological components of what's happening in the conscious and the subconscious mind in order for people to actually receive the message that you're sending out into the world. It's so true. You know, I, I had no idea what I was doing when I was doing it, but about a decade ago, I moved to Utah. I met my wife or the woman who's now my wife moved here. She had three kids that were not biologically mine, but I've since adopted them. And one of our initial projects was like, Hey, we're going to integrate as a family. I'm going to be dad, but like, we're not just going to force it on the kids. Like, let's go to a therapist. Let's do this right. Let's learn about how personalities, you know, integrate. And thus began, and it was, I wouldn't say it started then, but it intensified then for me, a deep love and interest in human psychology. And at the time I was transitioning out of being an affiliate marketer into starting a digital agency. And, and we provided I would say much lower level services, much less sophisticated services. It was like reputation management and websites. And, you know, we weren't helping people with their messaging. But a couple of years ago, when I got back into the online info marketing space, I was so much better at messaging and copywriting and connecting and like almost to the point where I didn't recognize myself because I was like, people really seem to like me. And I never even thought I was that likable. Like, and I realized it's because of all the psychology stuff. It's because of studying Erickson and studying Adler and, and studying Ellis. And, you know, the, people don't probably don't even know who those names are. Like, go look these people up. When you understand how people work, you become so much more effective, not just on the marketing side, but on the team building side of what it actually takes to grow a business, which is building loyalty and, and alignment and vision in your company. 
So I'm really glad you're, you're punctuating again, the psychology elements. Um, Cause you can, I don't think you can succeed without it in the modern world, because as you said, it's too damn noisy for you to even get listened to unless basically you're better than the rest of the noise. And yeah. better means smarter and more connectable and more relatable and more resonant more quickly. Yeah. And you see in today's world, it's, it's not, it's not always that the best product wins. Oftentimes it's not the best product yeah. that wins. It's the best marketer that wins. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously there's examples of products that are so good that it just kind of takes off, but you know, that's few and far between and everything that we do. I'm not interested in it. If, unless it's systematic, I'm not interested unless it's reproducible, right? Because then it's like, if you just do it once more power to you, but I'm in the business of teaching. I'm in the business of inspiring. I'm in the business of consulting. So when I dive into something, I want to know, can it be reproduced over and over again? Otherwise it's not really interesting to me. Well, to your point, a lot of times the best product ends up being what people like the most. And what people like the most is very often based on the story and the marketing. Witness the iPhone. Yeah. When the iPhone came out, nobody was going, oh my gosh, there's, there are just too many buttons on my phone. I want to do everything with one button. In fact, if you would ask people, hey, would you like to get rid of all the buttons on your phone and do everything with one button? I think most people would have said, that sounds like a mess. I, you know, How do I know what's the number one and what's the number four? And yet the marketing and the, I mean, Apple's, as good as it gets, at least, especially they were around what you're talking about. They kind of, they kind of brought us around to go, Oh, this is better, but it wasn't until after we already had it, you know? Yeah. I mean, people give Steve jobs a lot of credit for his innovative approach to technology, which is should be given, but I don't think enough people give him enough credit as a storyteller. Yeah. I mean, cause that's really one of the core cruxes of, of Apple and why they're successful. If you go to those demo days and look at Steve Jobs and why he was so relentless to make that perfect, he is an amazing storyteller. And that was one of the reasons that the iPhone was successful because even in the beginning, if you can remember back, it was buggy. Like mm -hmm. it was not perfect by any means. And there's a lot of things wrong with it, but his ability to, to, to tell that story around the products and the vision of it is, is one of the reasons that made it so successful. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. By the way, also pretty much invented the modern animated movie, speaking of storytelling, Steve Jobs. Yeah, and they, again, they used a lot of communication and, and like I was talking to one of the top creative directors in the world and you think about Steve Jobs is he got fired from Apple and then he went off and created one of the most successful startups of all time in Pixar, buying it from George Lucas because he didn't see the value in it. And then he went back to Apple and took it to, you know, the most valued company in the world. It's like, you know, just to see what he's done uh, is, is truly remarkable and amazing. Yeah. And it's, and it's illustrative that, frankly, his, his work in movies was a bigger success than his work in technology until he came back to technology, which speaks yeah. to your point about the storytelling. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So let's, you know, I, this hook point stuff is amazing. I mean, thank you so much. And obviously you have a new book. Um, it's, I think it's newly released, right? Hook point is, uh, how to stand out in a three second world. That's like a pretty new book, right? 
Yeah, it just came out like two, two and a half months ago. Okay, cool. And and I assume that what you shared with us here very briefly is a is a tiny sliver of what that book expands on. Yeah, and we go deep and we have some amazing people in the book, like my friend who sold over a billion dollars worth of products off of social media ads alone. My friend that's top creative director for like Nike and and all these big brands. Uh, but we go super deep into the psychology and in all the stuff that we just uh, spoke about. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'm, I'm excited. I hope you uh, saved a copy for me because I'm going to, if, if there's more where that came from, I'm definitely going to read the book. Um, let's back up though. Can we talk a little bit about, and, and you maybe talked out on it, so forgive me, but this 1 million followers thing, I sure. mean, I, I can just share with you. I've been, uh, and, and frankly, I think I'm, I'm probably in the top few percentile of how I've done, but in two years I've grown from virtually nothing on Instagram to about 67,000 followers, no, no paid followers. Like I've actually grown that, um, you know, YouTube 27,000 subscribers. Again, I've done all this in about two years. Um, you know, Facebook, I think I have 30,000 fans. And like most people look at those numbers and go, Jeff, wow, you're doing something right. But, and again, I know it's not like, you're not telling me how to invent the light bulb because you already did it, but like a million followers in 30 days. I mean, you're clearly talking about order of magnitude, uh, increased concepts compared to what most people consider even good growth. So can you like yeah. dig into it a little bit? Like what's the, what's the alchemy here? Yeah. And I want to first start, start by saying is like, I'm not saying that everybody needs a million followers. <laughs> I'm not saying like, again, going back to, okay, if you read this book, you're going to get a million followers. I, I mean, I was just looking at some emails today of people that just generate 2000 followers and they're super happy or somebody goes from a thousand to 10,000 because they just didn't get it. And like, to me, that's just as meaningful as the people that uh, do, you know, a million. And, and again, it's really comes down to what you do with it. That counts. Like I was listening to um, one of Mike Dillard's episodes cause I just did his podcast a few weeks ago and he had this relationship coach that is making $70,000 a month off of 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. Like I know people that have a million followers or more that are not making 70,000 followers a month. So, right. you know, one of the first questions that I ask people when I'm working with them is what do you need? Are, are you looking to make revenue today or are you looking to build your brand? So the revenue can come a year from now or two years from now. And there's no wrong answer. But if you're telling me you need to make money today, then I'm like, okay, then let's put some, you know, paid ad lead generation strategies or some business development strategies to create a sustainable foundation, bring in revenue, bring in profit, and then we can reinvest in the long term. Because even though I generated a million followers in 30 days and we can get into the tactics and all of that, I'm working at this every day. It's not like, you know, you just do it and you're done. There's a lot of work. Uh, that goes into it. And again, that choice of how many followers you need is really predicated on what is your return on investment strategy? And, you know, also like, what does that mean for your specific industry? So for me, I generated a million followers in 30 days because I knew it was a hook. It's not like I did it and then came up with the hook afterwards. I had spent three and a half years developing these methodologies. I did it first on Facebook in 30 days. And then I developed subsequent systems for Instagram to generate a million followers on Instagram. And when I first did it, I was like, why am I going to do it? 
And I, I wanted to do a book for some time because I was really inspired by Tim Ferriss and what he did with his brand with the four hour work week. But I know it, I knew I didn't have a strong enough hook. And again, going back to my experience in the entertainment industry, I was not going to do something unless it scaled, unless it could operate at the highest levels. And after spending three and a half years developing these testimo- um, these testing methodologies for corporations, brands, journalists, athletes, celebrities, I knew it could be done. So I did, I called up the biggest literary agent I knew that's represented $5 billion worth of book sales. I was like, hey, if I do this, will you sign me as a client, represent me and get me a publishing deal? And he said, yes. I was like, okay. Then I went off and did it because I knew that with a publishing deal with a book that could lead to consulting clients. It could lead to speaking on stage, to getting on television, to getting on radio and print, on podcasts, all of those things that would build massive revenue. Now, it took about two years to recognize, you know, seven-figure revenue off that hook, mm-hmm. but it did, and I was patient with it. And that is the plan that I set out for myself um, versus others that need to go and just drive revenue right now. I'm saying, listen, I would start with more strategic revenue growth opportunities than diving straight into organic social and followers and stuff like that. Not to say that you can't be successful, but it's not as systematic as the other way around. So, so let's take someone again. And now that I've now that I've outed myself, this is going to sound like like free, more free consulting. And I mean, it is, but it's. I think it's going to serve everyone. Like, I'll hold myself up as an example. I know my business the best. I have an offer that can could reach a billion people. It's entrepreneurial education that's at a level of standard and accessibility and quality to rival a traditional college education, right? Like, hey, instead of going to Harvard to be a mechanical engineer, come to Entra to be an entrepreneur. And like, that's my goal anyway, right? So that could, that could reach a lot of people, assuming we translate it into a few languages. So, so for me, go, hey, I'd love, I, I could use a million followers. I could, right? Like there, there's value in that for me. And I'm not, I don't need it to monetize tomorrow. And frankly, I can throw money at it if I need to. Well, where would you start with a guy like me? The first place is content is generating followers is easy. There's both paid ways to do it and organic ways to do it. But honestly, it doesn't mean anything if you can't play to what the algorithms are looking for. And you know, it goes back to the three core pillars of a hook point. I'm gonna break it down even uh, simpler than that for, for how the algorithms look and what they're looking for. Because uh, this is really important for social media both from a paid and organic perspective is the social media networks, no matter what network it is, they make money the longer people stay on it. So they're in the retention and attention game. So what that means is they are constantly searching for any way, shape or form that they can keep people on the platform longer. So that means they're going to prioritize content that they deem holding attention longer. So if we open up Instagram today and going back to that 60 billion messages, which is is probably a lot more, is if we open up Instagram right now, each one of us probably has a thousand pieces of content the algorithms could see to us based upon the the, the content we've engaged with uh, or the people that we're following. Obviously, the algorithm can't push a thousand people or a thousand pieces of content to you as you open up the app because you get overwhelmed and you close out the app. So it has to prioritize and let's say it's what are the top 15 out of a thousand pieces of content 
that we deem is going to keep this individual on the platform longer. So what that means is out of a thousand pieces of content, 985 are getting deprioritized that won't even get to you. So that's first, you have to understand that. So what are the things that the algorithms are looking for is, is number one, is the pattern interruption working? Are you stopping the scroll? Are you earning the click in the case of YouTube? And then second, how long are you holding attention for? If those two things come into play, the algorithms is going to syndicate your content to your followers and potentially beyond it. So what happens as a content creator is like, let's say in your case, you have 60,000 followers on Instagram. You post a piece of content. What it's gonna do is seed it to 500 of your followers. And it's gonna measure those ratios. It's gonna measure how many people are stopping and how many people and how long are they stopping for. And if it plays to what the algorithms are looking for, then it'll, it'll seed it to another thousand. It'll check the metrics again, and then it'll seed it to another 5,000. And it'll keep growing till it can reach beyond your audience if it's really playing and holding attention. And that's where you see some content creators on Instagram, which is very difficult to do, will have more views or more engagement than the actual followers that yeah. they have. That's how things go viral. Is that, is, is that what gets you on the Explorer page, basically? Explore page, it gets people to share it in, you know, and each platform is different. It's just, it gets you more reach because the algorithms want to push that content to everybody they can if it's holding attention. Right. So without that foundation, and this is where you see people with large number, large following audiences and have view, low view counts or low engagement, people will say, well, it's fake followers. It's not engaged followers or it's, um, you know, they bought followers. And typically that's not the case. The case is the content's not up to par. So the algorithms aren't even giving reach to their audience. Maybe a small percentage, maybe, you know, if you have a million followers, maybe it reaches 3%. Mm -hmm. So that's where I always like to start with somebody like you or looking to grow followers, because I don't want to have a conversation three months down the line where we, where we get you from 60,000 to 500,000 followers. And then you're churning followers, which always happens with rapid growth but also you're not able to reach and engage them because then it just becomes a meaningless exercise and people get frustrated and don't understand it. Uh, so that's typically where I start. And with that, the better you get from a content creation standpoint, that's where you can generate virality and follower growth at scale. Uh, so for example, there was a, a musician that I didn't even really know. And uh, she, I, she was following me and I found out this after the fact and because she had picked up my book from a friend and you know she had like 10,000 followers at the time and she did this amazing cover of the Fleetwood Mac song when it was going viral because of ocean spray and on Instagram that she was at 10,000 followers okay on Instagram that video generated like 3 million views on YouTube it generated 8 million and she went from 10,000 to 200,000 in like two weeks purely organically. She signed a record deal, got a manager. She then got a cover song with David Guetta and that got a million streams in 48 hours and just took off from there. Uh, we had another client that's one of the top vitamin supplement companies in the world. And they were starting a new YouTube account from scratch. And we started designing content. And one of their videos uh, is at like 7.4 million views now and took it from zero subscribers to 40,000 subscribers in just a matter of a few months. 
So that's the power of content and playing to, to that growth. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, thank you. That's, that's hugely instructive. And, and I have a million follow-up questions that I'm not going to ask because A, our time's pretty much up and I want to respect your time. Um, and B, I want to leave some cliffhangers so that myself and others can go read the book. Um, that said, I, I, thank you so much again, Brendan. This has been such an amazing conversation, such a ridiculous amount of value. Um, I say that selfishly, but I think also on behalf of the audience. For people that want to get more value, more from you, whether it's more content or even to engage with your services or your, your products, tell them where to go. Yeah, even if you're interested in follower growth, I would start with the Hookpoint book because again, it plays to what we were just talking about is creating a solid foundation. And we talk about follower growth in that book. Uh, it's sold anywhere bookstores are sold. But if you go to book.hookpoint.com, you get the physical book plus the audio book, the ebook, and an, a masterclass all for you know the, the free book shipping and handling. You get it all cool. there. If you're like, hey, I just want to jump into the consulting side of it, you can go to hookpoint.com hookpoint and just learn more about that. Uh, connecting directly with me, I'm on Instagram at Brendan Kane, uh, or you can email me at bkane at brendanjkane.com. Fantastic, man. Again, I'm so grateful. Thank you uh, for your time on behalf of the audience. And thank you to the audience, all you viewers and listeners out there. You are the best part of Millionaire Secrets and you're exactly why we do what we do every day. Everyone have a great day and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks again, Brendan. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entre Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.entrenation.com. That is www www.entrenation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.